0: Well, today we are revisiting Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, and you'll, if you'll turn there and we'll read from Luke chapter 9 in just a moment. But as we begin our message today, may I say again, as I've said so often before, that these precious words of Scripture given to us here are so very special and so very revealing about who Jesus really is. And especially these words that we'll read in a moment. We need only to read them carefully and to allow His Holy Spirit the opportunity to fully explain them to our spirit. To be blessed beyond measure. To be blessed beyond measure. To let these words sink deeply within our hearts and minds. Now here in today's passage, we're going to see the Lord Jesus how he carefully orchestrated a circumstance that will demonstrate beyond any question that he, the Lord Jesus, really is exactly who he says he is. In these few words, he clearly reveals that he is God. He is God and Lord over all creation, able to do just as he did in the beginning. And that's simply with the word of his mouth. Speak something into existence that was not there before. Creating something out of nothing. And he does it with the ease of a master and Lord. So if you will then, follow along with me, beginning in verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we are in this deserted place here. But Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, But we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fishes, unless we go and buy food for all of these people. For there was about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and he made them sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And so they ate, and they were filled, and twelve baskets of leftover fragments was taken up by them Mm. before we begin our consideration of these precious words about this great miracle uh, the feeding of the thousands of people with just these loaves of bread and two fish i'd like for us to first consider this beginning verse given here about the apostles returning from their missionary journey and reporting to jesus all that they had done Now you recall, just a few, perhaps days, perhaps weeks earlier, Jesus had sent His disciples out on their first missionary journey. They went out through the local towns and villages, and they were preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to anyone who had listened. And now they were returning to report to Jesus about their efforts. I'd like for us to give some thought to the fact that on this occasion... Jesus' disciples are here in these words referred to as apostles. Apostles. It didn't say that the disciples came back. It said the apostles came back. And I'd like for us to understand that there really is a difference, a very important difference between being a disciple and being an apostle. Now, by this time, Jesus had many people following after him. Here 5,000. And they were described as being His disciples. And even today, you and I who follow after the Lord Jesus and we believe in Him, we're also spoken of as being His disciples. But here, we're being clearly shown that while an apostle can be a disciple, not all disciples are apostles. You are disciples of Christ, but are you apostles? Not all disciples are apostles. And you and I need to know that there really is a difference and what that difference is. For me, the simplest explanation of the difference between a disciple and an apostle is that an apostle is being given special additional spiritual gifts from God than those gifts given to other disciples. The word apostle means messenger, the sent one. A person equipped and sent directly by God to carry special truths to other people. And while as the Great Commission tells each of us that all disciples, us, are sent forth to preach the gospel to all nations. Here we can clearly see that the apostles were different. The apostles were different. They were equipped with powers and abilities that we ordinary disciples don't have. One of those special powers and abilities given to the apostles is the spiritual gift of giving new words of truth, new revelations from God, words that had not been given before. Let me say that again. One of the special powers and abilities given to apostles is the spiritual gift of giving new words of truth, new revelations from God, words that have never been given before. A disciple... You and I can only speak the truths that have already been given to us in these scriptures. Nothing more. Nothing more. God does not give us, does not give me, does not give you any new words of truth. The words already given within the pages of these scriptures are the only truths that you and I have to work with. And the words that I share with you each Sunday are only the truths That have already been given in these scriptures. Why is that important? Why is that such an important understanding to have? Listen to these words. This is from 2 Peter 2. Beginning in verse 1. There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they have made up. Folks, more than ever before, the words that are being preached from many of the pulpits across our nation today are not the true words of God. They are not. And it's so vital to your eternal future that you know that the words that you're hearing and accepting are the truths that come out of the pages of this Bible. They must be. So I'm pleading with you to please examine everything that you hear carefully. I can recall when my dear sister was still alive, her television was tuned to one of those false teachers daily. My sister was a devout believer, but she was listening to this lady who was giving false teachings. If the words that you are hearing, whether it be someone in front of you or on the television, if they do not come directly out of these scriptures, or they're not at least solidly based on the foundational truths of these scriptures, then please don't accept them. Please don't accept them. Jesus' disciples, they were true apostles. They were able to give new truths, new revelations from God. But I'm convinced, both from these scriptures and by the Holy Spirit, that no new words from God and no new interpretations are being given from God today. And that you and I must flee from those false teachers who would have us to believe differently. Now, with all that being said, let's return here to these words in this passage about this exciting miracle that the Lord Jesus was about to do. We find first as the disciples come back to report to the Lord Jesus, He takes them away, steals away to this quieter place. But the crowds seemed to know where they had gone to, and they quickly gathered And they were seeking help from the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus being as generous as he is, he he received them graciously and he ministered to them. And then it tells us that as evening began to draw near, we get to see this wonderful, special part of God's plan beginning to unfold. We have to remember that none of these circumstances that we read about in Scripture, none of them in God's providential realm are happenstance they are not happenstance the lord jesus and his disciples traveling out there into that deserted place where no provision of food would be made available to them was clearly by god's plan and it was also clearly in god's providential plan that a question then would arise within the minds of the disciples about the need for food bringing them then to this circumstance that we're in and so what were they going to do What were they going to do? They had 5,000 people. Not only 5,000 men, but in another portion of Scripture, it tells us that their wives and children were with them. So many thousands. What were they to do? So the first thing that takes place, and the Lord Jesus allows this to take place, the first thing that took place was this logical reasoning on the part of the disciples. We need to send them away. Let them find food in the local town. Logical thought, folks, is good, and we need to have it. But we need to also keep in mind that logical thought is not an end-all to every situation that we're involved in. Often God has a very different plan and perhaps an even greater provision available to us than one that would be provided through our logical thinking. And that's where faith has to enter into the equation. Let me add, faith must become a regular part of every Christian's logical manner of thinking for us to by faith remember that yes we have this circumstance in front of us but God is also at work and he has a perfect plan and I do need to inquire of him that's part should be part of our logical reasoning should always include asking God about his plans for the circumstances in front of us these disciples they were still new at the discipline of faith So Jesus took the time to allow their logical thinking to work its way through its process. And using then the logical reasoning of their minds, they determined that they didn't have the food, nor it tells us in another portion of scripture that they didn't have the money to afford to buy the food for this large group of people. So the logical conclusion then would be to send them away, to let them find their own food in the Town's near there. And so with that circumstance set, Jesus was there now prepared to go to the next step within His plan. And He did it with a special test instruction. He said to His disciples, you give them something to eat. Now what could that instruction be about? What could that instruction be about? Jesus knew that His disciples did not have the food to feed this large crowd nor the money to buy the food. So then what was the point of his instruction to them? Now folks, this is where you have to read past the surface of words on the page. All of these words are far deeper than you and I first perceived them to be. So I would suggest that that test instruction was to put within them a special memory that would then guide them and encourage them as they carried His ministry on forward, even in future years. Later on, after Jesus would endure the cross and He would be resurrected, He would meet these same men, these same disciples, on a beach where they're fishing. And there He would give Peter and the other disciples a very similar sounding instruction. He would say to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. These words that we read here today in our text, they were a very important prelude to those later instructions there on the beach. Jesus wanted those men then, and he wants you and me now to know that none of us, of ourselves, ever have an adequate food to feed his sheep. An appropriate food to feed his sheep. Those disciples then and we now need to understand that Jesus, and Jesus alone, has the bread of life that people need to nourish and to sustain their life. Now, yes, this was physical food being discussed here. And we get caught up in the fact that this was physical food. But folks, listen, as I said a moment ago, these words are deeper than the words on the page. This is an allegory that's strong and to the point. Jesus instructed his disciples to give these people food that they obviously didn't have. But hidden within his command was this intention of convincing these disciples to know that they, of themselves, would never have the appropriate food to set before people. And you and I, like these disciples, must always know that we truly will not ever, of ourselves, have the necessary provision. Those right words to say at the right time, that godly advice that someone is seeking, the comforting counsel that someone wants from us. We of ourselves do not have those words. Only Jesus has that kind of bread of life. Here in this passage, the disciples were easily able to understand that they didn't have the wherewithal to feed this great crowd of people. But folks, such a conclusion will not always be so simple or easy for us. We need to be very, very careful In the food that we hand out to our friends, to those who come to us for counsel, for help, for advice. Because that food that we might hand them might leave them still hungry and wanting. Thankfully, these disciples were able to come to the right decision for this dilemma that they were in. And just as they had done earlier, you might recall just a few verses earlier, they were there on the Sea of Galilee and the storm had arisen. And they were in a dilemma, a panic. But then they did the next best right thing. And they went to Jesus for his answer to their dilemma. And so in doing that, and in doing that this time about the food, they allowed Jesus the opportunity to carry out another of his great miracles. This time, one of the greatest miracles that he had performed during his earthly ministry. Herewith only these five loaves of bread and two fish, he had produced enough food to feed this whole big crowd of people. In this same account, again, that was given over in the book of Matthew, there we're told that those men had their wives and their children with them. And so this miracle was huge. Feeding thousands and thousands of people. It was truly a great miracle, one that's spoken about over and over again throughout all of these centuries. But, folks, in reality, this particular miracle was somewhat meager, meager as compared to the miracle that Jesus performed centuries earlier back there in the desert when he fed hundreds of thousands, even in the latter part of the 40 years of wandering, even millions. Of Israelites, as they wandered there in that desert, that wilderness, and he fed them for forty years. He brought manna and quail to feed that multitude for forty years—not just one meal, but all the meals they would need for forty years. But even that's no great feat for a God that's so powerful that He could, as He did that in, there in the beginning of time, simply speak and the whole world, as you and I know it, came into existence, something coming into being out of nothing. But listen, I want us to note in this particular miracle of feeding the five thousand that there's a curious difference when compared to the feeding of the Israelites during their days of wandering and that difference prompts within my heart and my mind a moment of imagination, and I want to Make sure that you know that this is my imagination. These are not from these words of Scripture, and it can't be preached as part of the true words of God. But listen, it's nonetheless very much in keeping with the nature of our generous and loving God. My imagination thought is this, that as those Old Testament Israelites gathered up the manna and the quail each day, you'll recall that they were not allowed to take extra. And nothing was to be left over. But curiously, here with the feeding of this 5,000, there is a special intentional mention that 12 baskets full of bread and fishes were gathered up after everyone had eaten. The Lord mentions that intentionally and specially. And that special difference is an important message to you and me and to anyone else who's willing to give of their personal provision for the benefit of others. In the book of John, we're told that these loaves of bread and these two fishes belonged to a small boy. And obviously that young boy had been willing to share his food with others. Now generosity, such as this, is spoken about by the Apostle Paul when he spoke to the Philippian church as they were willing to give for the needs of others. There in Philippians 4.19, he said, Because you are so willing to give... My God shall then supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because you have given, my God shall supply all of your needs. Those are words that are specially given to all who are willing to share their provisions with others who are in need. Giving away that which you have does not lessen what you have. It doesn't reduce what you have because my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The underlying promise in Him asking us to give is that even greater rewards will be returned to the givers for selfless generosity. Now, while these scriptures don't tell us specifically so, my imagination tells me that in response to this boy's generosity, remember, the fish and the loaves belonged to him that in response to his generosity jesus might have rewarded him with returning 12 baskets full of loaves and fishes and again my imagination can't you imagine as he went home to his mama and he showed his mama 12 baskets of bread and fishes that great reward for him i love that thought again it's not here in scripture but it is in keeping with the nature of God. And so it would seem right that it would go back to Him. The Lord is a generous God. In Hebrews 11 it says that He's a rewarder of those of us who diligently seek after Him. That's an unfailing and absolute truth. And God will surely reward you and me for our generosity. We need always to remember that All of the good and perfect things that we receive in this life, they come down from God who's in heaven. And He has an endless supply of all that we'll need. You and I must never simply take God's grace and hold it up close for our own benefit. We must allow it to flow back out freely from our hands, blessing others, anyone who needs it. One last thought, and then we'll close. Note here that Jesus didn't concern himself with whether all those people were Jews or Gentiles. Most of them were Jews, but it's not mentioned here. And he didn't concern himself with whether or not they were Jews or Gentiles or any of those other hindrances that so often cause us to question what we ought to do with our riches. Folks, no doubt we ought not be concerned about that kind of thing in our generosity. We ought to instead be as Jesus is, and that is to generously and lovingly give to anyone and everyone who needs it. That will free up our heart to minister the way he wants us to. All of these miracles that we read about each week, that Jesus carried out while he was here on earth, they were special. And they were intended to convey many thoughts and beliefs to us. The most important of which is He is saying to us that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who has come to save us from our sins. And He'll make every provision for us. He's able to deliver us from any of our circumstances, whether they be hunger or whether they be sin. He's able to deliver us. And feeding this 5,000 people is a big undertaking, yes. But even greater than that is the saving of souls of billions of people. And while that's only something that God alone can do, you and I must know that He is asking us, pleading for us to join with Him in that and to feed His sheep, to feed His sheep with the food that He gives to us from these scriptures. Let me close with this doxology from 1 Timothy 1. There we read, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.